And I know people can understand that, whether you're white, black, pink, orange, maybe not in this context, but have you ever had to make yourself smaller for someone else's existence? It's exhausting. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to How Do You Feel? I am so glad that you are here to join and listen in on the episode this week. This episode made me remember how amazing it is to connect with someone in person. For most of 2020, the episodes that I've been recording have been over Zoom. And Zoom is a great platform that has allowed us to continue producing content, keep recording podcasts, to keep having meetings like Love Zoom, big fan. But to sit with my guest this week in his backyard and to be able to have a conversation in person, man, this conversation was just really special. And so I'm really pumped to share it with you guys. Last week, I talked a decent amount in my intro about how I was having kind of a challenging mental health week. Just as an update, thank you so much to those of you that reached out and checked in on me. I really appreciated it. Just as a little update, I felt way better this week. I think that it was just the initial shock of Eric leaving that put me in a little bit of an anxious headspace, but this week I felt way better, way more like myself. So that was a nice little shift. My guest on the podcast this week is Enswani Bafo. And Swanee is the regional fitness manager for Good Life in all of the downtown Toronto locations. And he has won numerous awards for excellence in fitness management. He is also one of the creators of the B Element, which is a company that empowers fitness and wellness professionals with the business knowledge and skills that they need to succeed. And Swanee is a husband and father to two kids. He is unbelievably thoughtful and although this was my first time meeting him, it felt like his level of openness and reception to the questions I ask and the depth that he was willing to go to made it one of the easiest conversations that I've had on the podcast thus far. So I know this episode doesn't need much introduction. I hope you guys enjoy it. We covered so many important topics. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Enswani Bafo. Hi, Nswani. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. Thank you for having me, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. Your reputation as a leader and force in the fitness industry definitely precedes you. But I have also heard that you are someone with a lot of insights as far as um, what it takes to be successful and the process to get there. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. So thank cool. you for sharing your time today. Well, clearly, you have incorrect in- <laughs> intel and... I've paid off enough people to say good things. That's Either way, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I have a good first impression, so that's good. Cool. How did you feel about celebrating Canada Day this year? Canada Day? Uh, I almost forgot it, to be honest. Everything has been very different, very muted. So, I mean, all dates kind of have gone by a little awkwardly of that's late. True. Yeah. 
I had a birthday in COVID, my son's mm-hmm. birthday in COVID, Canada Day, 4th of July. Definitely wasn't the same, but same time too. Still have to reflect and appreciate the fact that it can always be worse. Mm-hmm. And things that are great about our life have to do where we live, which is Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the reasons I ask, I'm American. Oh, I won't hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, you can if you want. <laughs> where are you from? Uh, I'm from Ohio. Ah, what part? Originally, Cincinnati is where cool. I grew up. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 All right. So this was the first year, considering the just larger conversation going on about race right now, mm-hmm. this was the first year where I paused when the 4th of July came, mm-hmm. specifically, because... I realized that that day, while we call it Independence Day, that day for tens of thousands of people became the official day when they were enslaved by a nation, Mm -hmm. a new nation. I just had a whole different perspective on it. And I wasn't sure if in Canada, people felt similarly at all to Canada Day, because I know that Canada has a history of not treating indigenous people well. Has so a history of racism inter- as well. Yeah, yeah of course, of yeah. course. So I was just interested if you had any feelings about that this year. Yeah. Considering what's, you know, been going on. For sure. And I mean, I joke about, you know, America. I lived in the U.S. for seven years. I love the United States of America. My family is from all over. Where did you live in the U.S.? In Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania. Okay. And a lot of friends from Ohio, Cincinnati, mm. Columbus, Steubenville, mm. Dayton. So I, I visited Ohio all the time. You know my neck of the woods. Yeah, very, very, yeah. very well. Um, <laughs> Ohio's a great place. And I think the U.S. in itself, in many ways, is, is a beautiful place. But you're right. I think now more than ever, you kind of have to stop and look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. And in reference to Canada, no matter what we say, we love America. We watch America. The whole world loves America. We like to kind of backpedal or, you know, separate when things get ugly sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the reality is American culture is Canadian culture. It's world culture. This year specifically, just based what's going on with some of the atrocities that unfortunately have been going on for a very long time. Right. But this year they're being magnified for, for various reasons. You do have to, to look at it a little differently. My viewpoint is you don't necessarily have to take away from the good, but you have to include the whole story. And I think what's been happening for far too long is accountability is is an issue for humans in general. And we tend to put away, hide, cover up the things that are hard to talk about or things we don't do very well. Mm -hmm. What that does, unfortunately, for some communities is it completely invalidates their feelings. And um, the way I hope we move forward is that we can talk about things that are great but also talk about things that are hard. And the things mm-hmm. that are hard won't take away too much from the things that are great. But when you take things that are great and compare it to things that, you know, try to bury things that happened, yeah. that's when I think you have um, not just trouble for people who experienced it, like black and indigenous communities, but you're also kind of setting yourself up for failure, even if you're a white person, right? Like, know your whole history so you can actually deal with the good parts and the bad parts versus creating... An image sometimes it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you put that. People are bad at holding themselves accountable. When you think of it personally as well, when you don't hold yourself accountable to your actions or your faults or things that you've done wrong in the past, you don't move forward and you can't grow from them. No. It doesn't take away the good parts of you. It doesn't take away the things that are best about you and your strengths. So right. I, I love that. I love that way of thinking about it. It makes sense. Yeah. And I honestly think it's, it's the road to healing because 
when you start to examine all parts of history or all parts of a scenario, not only do you have, you know, more connection to other people, because really and truly, we mm -hmm. probably have more things in common than we do have differences, but then we also have a chance to express empathy and even help each other. And what I mean by that is, you know, talking about the race climate specifically, the Black Lives Matter movement, the current race movement, it's the first time in my 38 years that I remember, or I can even recall, the world looking at some of the problems that have been in our communities for hundreds of years, right. which is great, but a lot of the work still has to be done ourselves. That's not an excuse to, to outsource it to other people, but to tie in what you said there, if accountability is a practice that everybody is exercising, accountability in history, accountability in media representation, in education, accountability in hiring practices, then you start to just breed a generation or a culture of accountability. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for people to say, you know what, I can do better in my, in my own house or in my own community. But when you have been ducking accountability for 400 years, it just kind of, <laughs> it just continues. Yeah. And I'm even a little bit like, I think further, I think no wonder why we can't get the planet right. Mm -hmm. Like we can't even like look and say, yeah, I did something wrong 400 years ago, or I did something wrong 10 years ago. No wonder we, we're becoming cold and we're becoming very desensitized to accountability. And that is a dangerous thing for all topics, even outside of race. Yeah. yeah. It's a diffusion of responsibility, I think. Yeah. We don't feel personally accountable to what's going on because for some reason we can't see our place in it. Right. And I'm not sure why that is. Probably defense mechanism, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah. you know, I've had several conversations about police and what's been going on. And I don't think it's normal for people to fear the police. It shouldn't be that way. Like, I can understand when I'm explaining or talking to people that it's like the craziest conversation for them. I'm happy. It should be the craziest com conversation. But it is reality for some people. But even if you've never felt fear or distrust from the police, you understand fear and distrust in other areas. Maybe a job you didn't like or a toxic relationship you had or maybe even your home dynamics. You know that feeling and you know what it can do to you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can extrapolate it to the larger level, but it's not something that you just make up. Mm -hmm. It's something that's real if you're feeling it. And um, I think the more we empathize, regardless if you can actually connect, the better not only can we address problems, but you actually can just get advice. And there's lots of uh, you know, different strategies and how you can uplift communities and how you can you know write history in a way that's fair and and have people feeling better themselves it doesn't need to destroy what's good about it probably said a little too much there but yeah there's a lot to be said Lots to be said, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you talked a little bit immediately um, following George Floyd's death on Instagram just about how you didn't have time right after to process what had happened because yeah. so many things were being asked of you and you felt like you had to have so many conversations and be an advocate and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Do you feel like you've had time to process at this point a couple weeks later? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the that's the great thing about time is that it always will win out in the end. And, you know, first you go from outrage and you go to like heartbroken. I think that was the word I really identified with this time around. And I hate to say this time around, but I've seen Tamir Rice be killed, Philando Castillo be killed on TV, Mike Brown. I remember watching Rodney King when I was about eight or nine years old. So it's unfortunate. It's like an anniversary of a bad problem. Mm -hmm. But 
in this specific time period, I think heartbroken was the, the word that really took some time to, to figure out what was going on with us. And I say us because, you know, we live in a great neighborhood. We live in a great house. Uh, most of our neighbors are white. My wife is biracial. Um, that airplane's going to suck. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> um, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> and my father-in-law, my, my kid's papa, he's a police officer. Right? So, you know, you kind of, you know, my experiences with law, police, and everything that comes with that were my own. And they weren't always great, but I'm also 38, so I've had at least 15, 20 years of not having to think about some of these things other than when they pop up every, every few often in other parts of the world. So in other words, I became desensitized to it, and I kind of hoped things were different, but to see the immediate response after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, it's heartbroken. It's like, man, we're still, yeah. we're still dealing with this problem. Why was the response this time so different? Very good question. <laughs> I can only give you my theories. Mm -hmm. One, we're inside. Um, you know, I think maybe for the first time, because we had some rights stripped away from us in terms of our ability to go outside, who can we see, how we had to act, maybe we're a bit more sensitized to rights, right? Yeah, totally. Um, maybe it's TikTok. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there's also a lot of, you know, behind-the-scenes actions in play and media and politics, which, in my personal opinion, they don't always add to a great conversation. But as long as conversation is being had, you're moving forward somehow, some way. Um, and I think maybe it was just the time. I think we can't go on the way we've been going on forever. Things will change. We still have a long way to go. But, you know, it's felt like the big reset for a lot of things. So why not race, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. At first, mm -hmm. the conversation was like everybody was talking about this. Yeah. It was huge. And it, it felt different. But also, I think a lot of people in the back of their minds, and me included, wondered, will this actually continue? My hand is, is this, up on yeah. that one. Yeah, for <laughs> is sure. Is this performative? Is this just because it's the trendy thing to do? Because right. we are all sitting inside. But then, you know, once quarantine is over and we go back to normal life, like, will right. anything really have changed? Right, right. I don't know. Do you have faith? What's your opinion on that? Uh, I have really low faith in human beings. Mm. But not in a negative way. That just means that I can get surprised really easily. Mm. And I never feel bad when I'm let down because I know how hard it is to be human. So I don't build people up. I don't build scenarios up outside of people what they show me because it's easy to get let down or get disappointed. It's um, very guarded. It can have sound you? that way. Yeah. And I realize sometimes the way I speak or the things I say don't always line up with the way I feel. Mm. And what I mean by that is, it, I can understand how that sounds, but not at all is meant to be negative. Mm. It's more or less, I can enjoy people a lot more. Because if I can talk to you and not be tied to something you say wrong, mm. or maybe something you do that hurt my feelings one day, our relationship has a lot longer shelf life than their emotional roller coaster. And it's not, I get it, but it also sounds a way to just like, wow, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more or less like, let me just take things at face value and just you know if things move forward beyond that great if they don't cool too um but specifically in this scenario i'm 38 years old i would also say if you're dealing with anybody over the age of 25 anybody at all this isn't the first time they've dealt with racism you'd also the bar is really low for expectation for racism like black people often will say like how's your job oh they're not too racist 
you know? Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. Or, like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> um, like, what have you asked me for? Like, just stop killing people on camera. Talk about low expectations. Yeah, like, like don't worry about, you know, arresting people and putting them into a really, really crooked, you know, uh, legal system, which has private prisons and judges for hire. And, like, it's a lot. It, we're just saying stop killing people. You can even go that route. That isn't great. So my point I'm saying is, um, will this die down? Yes. Was some of it performative? Yes. Was some of it superficial? For sure. Were some of it people expressing their guilt and just wanting to feel better about themselves? Yes. And I take all of it. I take all of it because there's so many actions, there's so many steps, there's so much energy needed to move towards equality that we can't be picky. Right. We really can't. And right. It's a shame what are you to gonna say, say like actually never like let's not talk about this because you are being performative? No, you're gonna say okay, let's have it. the conversation. I'll yeah. take it. I'll take even yeah. bad conversations. I'll take even people disagree because again, all of that in my opinion moves us forward somehow, some way. It's awareness. It's awareness. It's consciousness, which at the end of the day we're all striving for. So, you know, sometimes in the black community we get into arguments of what we should or shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, people think we should protest more. Some people think you should riot more. Some people say riot less. Some people say it's economic changes. Some people say it's legislative changes. Some people say it's community service. Some people it's mental health. Some people say it's fitness. I say yes. Yes, 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 yes. All of it. Because we ended up here with all of those things going the wrong way at some point in the last long time. Long time. So, yeah, hope that made sense. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm not disappointed. I know at the end of the day, you know, there's still a lot of good in the world, still a lot of good people in the world. If you can shrink down your experiences to a micro level and really analyze those, you'll probably get a lot more direct feedback. Well, yeah, you'll get more direct feedback, but you'll also get probably better experiences when things start to move out. You know, if 40% of the world's racist, it's a lot of people. 40% 40% of the people in my neighborhood are racist. It's a lot of people still, but there's less people. Right. And I think we always have to look at that from, uh, you know, how's it affecting my immediate community, right? Sure. So. When you picture your son growing up in this community, what do you think about? Most of the time, I think of just the innocence of kids, right? And I think about how they play together. They change. Like right now, they're in the splash pad together, and they're all going to change, and they're not going to care, black, white, boy, girl. At some point, you know, they're going to start taking on identities. And the things I think about most is how people will view my son. He's very charismatic. He's very outgoing. Hmm. Um, but, you know, he's going to be a big black boy at one point. You know, I'm not a small person. He's probably going to be over six foot. And to some people, that automatically insinuates fear. And that goes into years and years and years of, you know, coding and images and joking with a friend on Monday and I said hey have you ever seen a mugshot of Bruce MacArthur I hate to bring up Bruce MacArthur on the show but I've never seen a mugshot this dude was doing some pretty vile stuff and every picture I see him he was fishing or he was at a concert and it's like you know what that's not a bad thing because our legal system says innocent until proven guilty so if someone is accused of some sort of a crime I want to see them as a citizen let the facts play out whether they are criminals or not but the contrary is, you know, two black kids in Rexdale who steal a car, Rexdale's where I grew up, you're seeing their mugshot at 6 o'clock news. And they look heinous. They look dangerous. And, you know, that is perpetrated into people crossing the street. Even when I walk the street, people cross the street at night. 
and I'm worried about that for my son, you know. He's going to come bouncing along just talkative, fun-loving London, and someone might see him as a physical threat and therefore react in a, a state of fear. So I think that's really what shook up my wife and I when we were first you know, just watching the news reports of mostly Ahmed Arbery. That was the first one. But um, How does that change you? I How will that I, change him? Yeah, that's the question. Like, I think we've decided that we're going to let those situations come to him as they happen. Hopefully they never happen. And the reason for that is mm-hmm. I grew up with those things beaten into me. Not beaten physically, but my mom would say, don't drive with your winter hat and your gloves on in, in, in the car. My car had no heater. I literally had to drive around. Couldn't drive my friends around. One friend in the car. Because she was worried, and she was rightfully worried, four black guys in the car with hoods and, and gloves on. Could never put my hood up on my sweater. Yeah. Um, my mom would tell me to cross the street if there was a white person, white woman on the other side of the street. Don't get an elevator to my white boots. All these. Wow. Yeah, all these. And she was, mm-hmm. my mom's not ignorant or anything like that. She just wants to protect her son. And her worldview was that, you know, people are going to see her son as a threat. So all of her advice to me was to make myself smaller so that I can get along. And it wasn't until I started developing my own identity that I realized I'm suppressing myself in so many ways. And a lot of my aggression and a lot of my, you know, outward action is because I feel like I always have to make myself, you know, accommodate myself. And I know people can understand that, whether you're white, black, pink, orange, maybe not in this context, but have you ever had to make yourself smaller for someone else's existence? It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. So I don't Mm -hmm. want that for my kid. But then at the same time, too, it's like, am I like not preparing them properly so we've decided let him go as far as he can without those filters my son is a great communicator i hope and pray that he continues with that we continue with that my daughter hopefully will follow suit when these things happen then we can speak about it in a way that doesn't put the glasses on first for them maybe just gives them some context as they uh are developing their own experiences yeah, it's the first time I actually said that out loud. So mm. I should have wrote that down and pinned it somewhere for <laughs> hopefully the day I don't have to have the talk, we call it in black culture, the talk. Yeah. Is that a thing, a named thing? I didn't know 100%. that. 100%. Yeah, it's called the talk. And it usually happens when something in the news happens. Then you have to pull your kid aside and be like, well, wow. why is this happening, right? To me, it's interesting because that approach, it shows that you do have some faith in people. Do. Like, there's faith in that. I do. I but do. you just said I have low faith in people at the I, beginning of this yeah, conversation. Yeah, no, it's right. You know? No, I get so it. I get really it. I get it. My wife says it all the time. She's like, <laughs> you just contradict yourself. I, and again, I think it's how I, how I say it. It just means I give people enough faith that they can manage at the time. Hmm. So I don't there open the door to there faith other than faith that way. I'm pointing up to, to the God. I more or less just say, okay, let's work with this. And then this comes a little bigger and bigger and bigger. So yeah, your approach, you're attempting to be very realistic about who is in front of you and what their shortcomings probably are. You got it. Yeah. You got it. And okay. then also the empathy of whatever their shortcomings are. I'm probably expressing that in my own way as well. So how judgmental or how hard can I be with my rules, right? I just basically, it's very hard to, to let me down. Let's talk about racism and the way that it shows up in the fitness industry. 
Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, this is something that I, as a trainer, want to educate myself on more. Yeah. Because I d honestly don't think it's something that I thought about consciously enough before this conversation started. So can you tell us the ways that it shows up in the fitness industry? Yeah, I think representation is the biggest thing, right? Like, we, we fight hard enough in fitness to, to prove our point, which is, you know, regular exercise, managing stress, sleep food will improve your life we know that scientifically and there's a fight sometimes for us people who believe it and live it into the world of trying to get people to um to understand that and put into action and that itself is heavy so when you don't see people who are doing that when you don't see it in ads commercials apparel it becomes even harder mm. right like most people know they need to work out and take care of their health but what what makes it so challenging? It's, it's really hard to do. So if I don't see myself somewhere, it just becomes even harder. If you don't see people that you can relate to and that look like you and that seem to live a similar life yeah. to you doing yeah. it. Yeah, or if I don't feel the messages no towards inspira me. Yeah, there's no inspiration or motivation to, to put it in place. Very little. That on a topic sense. that's hard for everybody. So mm -hmm. that's something I noticed very early on in my career. I actually started working as a trainer in Brampton when I first... Um, started in the fitness industry and I would hear nothing but negativity from anyone else in the fitness industry who didn't work in Brampton nobody buys training up there no one's serious about their health up there and you know you're looking at promotional guides or your books that you're studying and you see the same people all the time you know I had to really quiet the noise focus on my network and say well what is it that my community really wants Brampton is a very minority-based community. A lot of people who live there, they're barely first-generation Canadians. They sometimes just came. Mm -hmm. So what do they want? They're coming here to set up their lives, set up lives for their family, build a foundation. But what are the things they're doing? Working hard, two and three jobs, sometimes more, educating themselves, going to school, taking night classes. They're probably living multiple people in the house. Okay, well, does this sound like the perfect candidate for a fitness routine? Yeah, because this is somebody who needs to work on their feet, needs energy, and needs to have stamina, mental stamina, to further their goals and ambitions through their schooling, and probably doesn't have the access to, you know, free space, or even, like, they need to have a, an outlet. So I learned to change the message, and I learned to... If it wasn't being done in promotions and advertising and media, let me do it through dialogue. And I did more research into the communities where a lot of cultures that come to Canada from other parts of the world, they struggle with the food. Portions, just sometimes the freshness of the food, right? You, know, you could pick a mango or banana off a tree and now you have to get it shipped over and spray with chemicals. And So you, know, you start talking the language of people based on how they understand things. Not only is it really, really good for the community and good for the client, it's just good business. So I struggled when I would bring this forward to companies. I would talk about it a lot and people just were missing it. And I realized, okay, it's just it must be a foreign topic. Yeah. Because everybody likes money at some point, right? Understanding the people that you're serving, the people in the community where you are. I've also heard it spoken about... Um, in like fitness regarding like in the business world when we're talking about business mm -hmm. of fitness right mm -hmm. about how 
certain services will be better mm-hmm. in certain communities depending on the culture of that community, what those people are looking for, maybe what their jobs are. Yeah. And so we, you can't just waltz into a community not knowing them and pretend that you're going to give them something that they need when you don't know what they need because you don't know them yet. Right, and that's very true. And also, you need to do that so you don't miss out on opportunities. Like, again, for example, go to Brampton. You very often will have two or three families living in one house. If I have two families living in one house, splitting the mortgage or the rent, working two or three jobs between two people, there's actually disposable income there. Mm-hmm. It's not much, and it's actually not going to be for a long time period. So I would speak to people and I'd say, look, where do you live now? And they would say, oh, I'm living with my uncle, I'm living with my aunt, there's so many people in the house. Okay, what do you do? I work at Tim Hortons, I work IT, I work here, and I go to school. Okay, how do you feel? Tired. Feel terrible. They don't ask. Tell me about your uncle. Tell me about your father. Same things would come up. Diabetes, heart attack, stroke. Say, okay, what do they do for a living? Oh, they're in IT. They're in medicine. The same thing you're studying is going to land you in the same place. So right now, when you're able to, invest in yourself. And it doesn't mean it's going to be the downtown six days a week body makeover package, but there's so many different price points and business services and income streams that people can connect to if they just feel like you're speaking to them but if you write them off and you're not really taking the time to understand their needs you're also just missing a lot in my personal opinion absolutely Mm -hmm. you're also helping them to understand what their intrinsic motivators might be got it which is the reason why we stick to fitness long term right that's when it becomes sustainable if you can identify and understand your intrinsic motivation for doing it the long term that's when you you stay with it and it's not a you know six month plan or whatever and we've all had those clients that are more aesthetic based they're very hard to keep motivated especially when things aren't maybe moving in their favor when you have somebody who's doing it because they have intrinsic motivation i want my family to move i want my wife to move over with me again i had so many clients like that like Mm. I'm working my butt off to send money home to my wife so she can come over. You know, you squeeze out an extra rep when you're trying to get your family back together again. And you know that your health improving is going to result in you being more successful, which means better lives for your family. That's a really good client to train. Yeah. That's an awesome client to train. (laughs) Yeah. What are your thoughts? I've been thinking about this um, and whether it is appropriate or not. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about the use of hip hop music in, I'm not even, like in fitness spaces in general? You're making a fun thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. I'm so happy you asked that. Um, Again, that's, that's, that's a tough one because hip hop is popular culture. And black yeah. music has always been popular culture, from jazz to rock and roll to bluegrass to everything. It just it comes from our culture, and a lot of it comes from pain. Like a lot of the stories, the lyrics, the beats, the moves, the energy, it's coming from speaking about exactly what somehow caught the attention of the world the last few months. Right. This music has been talking about it for forever. as long as we've been listening <laughs> to it. Yes, exactly. From spirituals to. Yeah. You know, uh, like I said, the blues and like it's and especially so, now. Yeah, yeah so we sorry. We were listening. We were listening, but not You're listening. You're dancing. You weren't listening, to right? The, yeah. And to uh, the especially with trap sure. music and a lot of the popular music now that's played in the gyms, played in the sessions. You know, it's the young kids crying out, and they're basically saying, 
with this system, this shit's not working for me. And they don't always express themselves in the most positive way, as we can see. But there's a reason why we like it. It's it's not the same story for us, but it somehow ties to the same emotion. Because, you know, you may not be living in Chicago where people are getting killed left, right, and center, but you have a feeling of wanting to improve your condition. You have a feeling of competition. You have a feeling of saying, okay, this door's shut. I'm going to open it another way or any way I can. Which is why you have 40-year-old stockbrokers listening to Little Baby and listening <laughs> to The Baby and Gunna and all these kids that are just giving it to you raw. So I think that's never going to change, and I don't think it should because it's meant to be expressed and connected. But I think you have to take a minute and say, why do I like this? What is this person saying? And what can I do about it? Even if it's just to acknowledge what they're saying on a deeper level than just the beat. Um, but that's why we love it in fitness, right? When someone's yeah. saying, I'm going to do what it takes to get ahead, and you're in that last 10 minutes of your class, you're, you're, you're evoking that energy. And it's the rawest form of energy because that kid a year ago was might have been a dead body. Still might be a dead body. Rappers are still dying with record labels. And sorry, record deals and success. They're still getting killed because that life is is tied in so deeply to their existence, which is now spilling out into the music, which now we're listening to 4,000 miles away and inspiring us. So why wouldn't you want to go a little deeper? If one four-minute song is creating this energy inside of you that's attacking your day or taking on a proposal or making you feel, you know, that your place in the world has a stronger existence, then shit. Oh, sorry. It's oh, fine. No, fine, no problem. Well, then shit. You can curse on yeah, this perfect. Shit. shit, like, go find the whole story then and, like, really get into the motivation behind why these songs were made and why the message is being spilt out because, you know, I believe, I love music, by the way. Love music. That's, like, my second biggest passion. And I always have this conversation with people, like, I, if I can't feel your, your emotion on the song, I know that you know, songwriter wrote it and the engineer put it together and this person sang it and you sang it again and that's cool too but like when you someone's pouring out their emotions you hear it differently so you know i would say if you find you're in that zone or you have a playlist or an artist do some research ask around and say why did that hit me a certain way because i guess there's a little bit of musical empathy that's an easy entry point for people sure yeah that's the human like there's something in it that's very human that we can relate to and i think you said it's the want to change something about your condition we're always striving for more that's just part of being a human, human. being wanting more wanting to change our condition wanting to better ourselves yep so what is like if we can relate to that and we can go there and that's the part that we that resonates with us you're exactly right like we should seek to understand why is that person saying that? What is their condition that they're trying to change? And it's that exactly. one little extra step exactly. that and you've got to go to. Then you truly can have, um, you can have a bit of a, of a flow of exchange. Because one thing, I don't know white people knows this, know this, but we're always going to look up to white people. Because the things that we assume are common success markers are often reflected in everyday life right you know having a house having a car there's a reason why rappers and, and hip-hop culture is obsess obsessed with european brands and european cars and it's because well europe had a very big part in our you know, isn't there something wrong with that though it is it is but i think what's what's important about it is just to identify with it because 
take race out of the conversation for a second, anybody who's been the victim of abuse or oppression will somehow identify with the oppressor. You've heard before, like, in domestic abuse relationships, one partner sticks around for very long. And although they know something's wrong, they idolize the person. That's because that person now becomes a, a vision of power to that person. And if you look at yeah. the black community, we're idolized with the very people we're angry at because they are the symbol of power. Right. And this is why it also exists that black people discriminate against black people 100%. also. 100%. Like, that is the reason, right? That's, that's embedded. Yeah. That's, that was a strategy that was made so that when you had a slave uh, plantation, you didn't have people grouping together to revolt or take control. So you always found little ways to pit that person versus this person. And it's actually the history, the history from a, a human side is very upsetting, but from a psychological point of view, it's actually pretty intelligent, right? Like if you, if you want people to work harder and to be more submissive, there's actual strategies you can do. And a big part of that is division. I put you over there, I put you over there. One day I feed you more, one day I feed you less. One day I give you the day off, one day I give you, and all of a sudden you're just like, well, how come they got that? And how come this got that? And you have mm -hmm. no unity. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, again, there's certain things that are bred into our culture that, you know, putting on nice clothes. Sunday's best. I don't know if you know what that means. Actually know what that means. Yeah. Not just the song yeah, that's okay, out good, right now. Good, yeah. good. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> but I mean, that's an example of like, you know, showing off when things aren't okay. Let's one day pretend everything is okay and feel really good about ourselves. And to your point, is that really the right way of doing it? Probably not, but how can I not identify with that feeling? Yeah, it, when we talk about this, this is just what makes me feel like it's so big. It's huge. It's orca big. <laughs> that it's I get huge. really overwhelmed, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, And it's crazy because I will have the same conversation with two different people, a white person and a black person, and have very different points and advice. And it's because it's so big, I always have to look at it and its nuances. I have to call it what I see, but then at the same time, too, I have to reprimand what's not right. And uh, that's always going to be in flux, whereas people will say, you know, slavery ended a long time ago, and some of these things you can control in this generation, which are 100% true. But then I always look at fitness. I can have someone, a client, who's overweight, and their father was overweight, and their mother's overweight, and their grandparents are overweight, and their brothers and sisters are overweight. That person still has all the accountability and autonomy to take care of their own lives. But if they're in a certain environment, it's just going to make it that much harder. So that's what makes this conversation so big. It isn't just about, you know, white people getting it. Or it isn't just about black people pulling up their socks, as so many people say. Mm -hmm. it's, it's huge. It's really big. Mm -hmm. But it has to move forward. Humans, humans don't go backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's take a little turn a little here. shift sure yeah I'm, i suspect we're gonna hang around though we're gonna turn oh, but yeah we'll do our best <laughs> it's a good topic and you know this is the first time i've actually expressed myself a bit because before you move on i just i should say that i typically don't talk too much because i rather just put the things i feel into action and sometimes when i say too much i feel as if i'm explaining which makes me feel in a less position of power and um you know i have to be careful sometimes that i'm not asking for things that should come naturally explaining because you feel like you have have to prove something with facts when you have to talk yeah or just like like that people won't 
believe the experience that you're talking about? Yes, uh, that as well. But also, it comes back to, like, let me explain why this is the way it is. You know, I think there's enough research and evidence out there. And again, if you're not willing to take on the race conversation, just take on any other conversation where you have a history of abuse and then what happens after. So it's actually pretty straightforward. So I, know I, I try not to spend too much time saying things that if we were just quieter, we can actually hear. Mm-hmm. But today's good, by the way. I'm okay <laughs> with that. Yeah. Well, good. I appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, no worries. Sure. Has there been anything since being in quarantine about your life that has um, shown up differently for you? Like, are there any hobbies that you've taken on or any habits that have shown up specifically during quarantine that didn't exist before? Hmm. Good question. I changed my style of training. Does that count? Yeah, absolutely. Uh Oh, we're answering a training question. (laughs) Um, I mean, it was a big relief to be away from, well, my my job, you know, I, I manage over 130 trainers. And one of my strategies to connect... Directly or indirectly? Indirectly through 10 people. Right. But I'm okay. very involved yeah. because I'm very lucky that they're all in my backyard. Mm-hmm. So all of my trainers are between Church Street and Bathurst and Front Street and Bloor. So if I wanted to see them all in two days, I actually could. And very often I do that. Cool. Not to mention using social and stuff like that. So although it's indirect, I do feel very connected to them. Mm-hmm. And one way I connect to them is I do my best to meet them wherever they are with their training. So I'll go into a gym and I'll say, what are you training today? And someone says, arms. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're doing arms today. Because one thing I want to do is after you destroy me in this arm workout, you can talk to a trainer about something you want to teach them. So I've been doing that for a while now. Like I have my own program, but I also have space in my week to jump in on what everyone else is doing. So it could be a CrossFit wad. It could be uh, <laughs> rowing, could it be strength, uh, power lifting, could it be weightlifting, Olympic lifting. So that's been kind of my connection point, was through the floor, like through training. Um, but for the last four months, I've been able to do my own thing and focus on what really is good for my body. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of training that focuses on the gait, so walking, running, throwing, and the exercises that I do have to complement those movements. Why so? Um, because for me, I think for all humans, but I feel better when those things aren't aligned. So if I get stuck in too many sagittal plane movements, too many bilateral movements, and then I go to run, all of a sudden I don't feel good. And what's the point of doing something if I don't feel good in these three basic movements that I like to do and are pretty important for life, walking, That's running, and throwing. That's what we do, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so... You used to be a football player, right? I was, yeah. Do you think your desire to feel good in running comes at all from that? 100%. Um, I think I got so used and so comfortable f- feeling poor that, you know, it, it embedded into, like, it's my identity. I have s- some plates and screws in my right leg. Um, you I had broken. a pretty serious injury, huh? Yeah, I shattered my fibula in October 11, 2005, 7.15 p.m. Not that I remember specifically, but... <laughs> Uh, two surgeries to repair it, a bunch of plates and screws. But even that, like just the feeling of my joints inflamed, my ankle sore, my knees sore, my shoulders sore. I think in sports and fitness, we sometimes equate that to hard work and we fall in love with the feeling. So if we're not in pain, it's like I didn't work hard enough. Or if I am, I'm like, oh, I'm so sore. That person kicked my butt, as so many clients like to say. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to drop that identity. And now I... I 
give the quality of my workout based on how good I feel, not on how much pain I'm in. And it took a while for me to get to that point. So Man, yeah. if you could just say that 10 more times. People yeah. need to understand. That is one of the biggest misconceptions in fitness. Yeah. That fitness is meant to break you down and put you in pain and make it hard to, you know, yeah. like, oh, can't I walk can barely up stairs. sit. Yeah, 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 what is that doing? How is that enhancing your life? Can we please use fitness in a way that can enhance our lives? And I'm not yeah. saying you can never be sore because obviously when you start in a new training stimulus, you will be, but we have to rethink that concept because it's just, yeah, it's not enhancing our lives in any way. I 100% agree. Why do you think people do that? Why do you think they're tied into that feeling? I think people think fitness is hard. Right. And so... Like, they feel like it should be hard. Like, yeah. they should show up to a workout and work really hard. Right. So, if you then wake up the next day and you, your body is inflamed and you're so sore, you go, see, that's your evidence. That's your evidence. I worked hard enough. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. I agree. I also believe it's it's a bit of our, it's our masochistic nature. Like, I pigged out and I ate some bad food mm-hmm. and I felt bad about myself, so I have to punish myself. That and is definitely the other people, yeah. 100%. And yes. that's, that yeah. physical pain, as you're saying, is evidence that I, it's my penance, right? Like, I didn't beat myself up, which means I didn't work hard enough, which means I didn't burn off that cake I ate. And it just, it just doesn't, the game just doesn't work that way. Right. So the reality is it just, it just doesn't work that way. And, and I prefer to know that if I'm training well, my capacity for everything goes up. So I may have three workouts planned that week and around the golf then all of a sudden you know i'm into my third workout i feel good i'll put two more workouts in i'll book another round of golf i'll go ride my scooter with my son i'll go for extra walks that's what training to me is supposed to do it's supposed to increase my capacity of workload obviously there's nuances obviously you have to lift heavy sometimes change stuff up you have to push yourself that's not what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. but if i'm in this perpetual state of recovery because i'm beaten up then when the heck do i get the benefits of exercise so true and the old nigerian guy said that to me years ago i think i was like 24 and it was my dad's friend and i came down the steps and i was like oh leg day <laughs> and he's like in his nigerian accent he's like exercise is supposed to make you feel good right i'm like yeah do you feel good right now <laughs> i said no they just walked out of the room he it called took, you out. He <laughs> called me out. It took some years for it to sink in. Yeah. And again, obviously, you have to push yourself a bit. You have to, you know, find out your threshold. I'm a huge advocate for strength training, but I don't always want to be in the state of getting myself stronger to the point I'm not feeling strong. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's a different thing to experiment and push your limits and find out what your limits are. Yes. And do that just to know than to constantly be pushing yourself to the limit to the brand and just be wrecking yourself it's like am i supposed to be fit why do i feel so sore and unflamed and i judge my day pretty much on the first two steps when i get out of bed mostly because this ankle it's always going to require some sort of extra attention i get up between 5 5 and 5 30 a.m i swing out the side of the bed because my wife and my daughter have most of the bed and I put my feet on the ground I walk to the bathroom and those first three steps tell me right away what my day is going to be like if my yesterday's activity was effective if I did too much if I did too little like that's my my moment of of self-exploration and I know what's going on in my body and for many years I was like I'm limping and I'm cracking and I'm like 
what am I doing? Why am I working out and feeling this way? Like, when is this supposed to feel better? At mm-hmm. what point? So it's very in yeah. tune that it only takes a couple steps. It's just a couple That's steps. Amazing. Yeah. What do you? What's the thing that you're that you know? All oh, this is good. Uh, flexion of the ankle, and it will crack. Like it'll sound like a leather belt going crack if it's not. And obviously that goes up the chain. My knees, thank God, have always been healthy. I've never had any issues with my knees other than the meniscus strain here and there. My hips. And then from there, it'll go into my thoracic region, how tight my shoulders are, my breathing. And that's all the stuff I had to just learn the hard way. I had hiccups for three months in 2016 or 17. Three months of hiccuping. Something's going wrong with your respiratory system. Something was going wrong with the whole system. My stress, my, uh, my thorax, my breathing patterns. What was it from? Uh, I had really deep knots in my diaphragm, and I was actually probably dealing with more anxiety than I was giving myself credit, and yeah, I just couldn't kick wow. it until I saw an osteo, and they started setting some things in motion, and then once you kind of understand how allied professionals get you back to zero, so to speak, then you can kind of see how your training is either taking you away from that or towards it. Mm. It's kind of kind of clear to see, mm. and doesn't mean I don't do some things just for the sake of it being a cool training uh you know, challenge. It just means I know I'm doing it for that reason. I'm not going to tell myself that this is good for me long term. I'm just doing it because, you know, I really want to get to know my new trainer and he's back squatting three plates today. So today we're back squatting three plates. It's good to have the versatility. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So besides your programming. Yes. And being able to have full control over your own program. Yes. Has there been anything else in quarantine that's been different? Uh, the kids. More yeah. time? The kids. I mean, my daughter doesn't know any difference. She's eight months now. So for her, she's... Maybe she does. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But I mean, her, people are here every day. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's my son that he went from going out of the house every day, going to swimming once a week, twice a week, karate, activities all the time. Then all of a sudden, we were together all the time. And it started off really, really strong. And I'd say we caught up considerably. At the start of quarantine, I was communicating with him in a way that was way behind who he was. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Like yeah. We, we were repairing a dishwasher one day early in quarantine, and he was, like, holding the flashlight, and he was doing what kids do, moving the flashlight all over the place. And I was talking to him like he was three. And at this point, he's four and a half. And I was kind of snippy with him. And I said, look, you know, keep the flashlight in one spot and don't distract me unless it's life or death. The next second, he's like, Dad, Dad, I need to distract you. I said, what? Like, I snapped, right? I'm like, what? What is it, man? He's like, that screw's done loose. That thing's going to fall on your head. And the whole rack was going to come crashing down on me. And this is my kid. I never even thought he had that kind of understanding, which means that prior to COVID, I was probably communicating in a way which is probably very frustrating for him. It's like someone talking to you like you're 15 right now. And um, he's a good kid because he was patient with me. So he allowed me to catch up. And I'd say now we've really developed a much stronger relationship. What are you going to do to stay caught up moving forward? I think I just have to take more time and not just rush from one thing to the next, rush from work to work or plans to plans. It's just like just listen to him. And the thing that's crazy is every time he like stops me and gets me to like listen to him, he's usually right. Don't let him hear this broadcast. <laughs> Don't play it for him. He's usually right because he looks at things simply and he has a lot of, he has innocence. And every time that happens, I'm like, man, I got to do that more. 
So I have to make sure that when he's saying a story or he's telling me something, even though sometimes it drags on a bit, <laughs> even sometimes he's stalling, he actually has something to say that's pretty important. Mm -hmm. And it helps me to remember where he is in his own development. So, mm -hmm. you know. That's the thing, huh? With COVID, I think we've all just learned about slowing down a little and being present. Yeah. There's something collectively that people are talking about and the value of that. And whether it's with a partner or kids, like my partner and I, our relationship changed, evolved over the last four months, spending so much time together Yes. and learning together and growing together. Like that time and that connection that we have, it will never, it will never be the same as the last four months was. Like we will never get that much time. When were you ever going to get that yeah. time? Yeah, exactly. We were just afforded something that was so unique. Right. But that level of connection that we found like I am 100% gonna try to hold on to that moving forward and now, find do you those mean moments. Quality wise or quantity wise? Quantity wise will be hard. Right, quantity will never be the same. Right. I'm saying the quality, quality. that yeah, we reached. I hear you on that. I will yep. do my best I to hear translate you on that. forward. Like even if you took a two week or three week vacation, which is challenging, with travel packing, you really don't settle into three or four days after, and then before you know it, you're traveling back or you're trying to like see sites and all that, and it's great time, but it's not like just being with somebody just being yeah, yeah. and when we yeah. when did we when would you ever get four months i think it's been amazing mm -hmm. yeah it's been obviously frustrating in some ways but mm -hmm. we're a very strong unit now we're ready to take on whatever the next mm -hmm. step is i love to hear that oh, thanks. that's awesome one of the things that i've come back to in quarantine as far as a habit i i'll give you the background i used to be a dancer okay and my dance career was tied closely to an eating disorder that I had for a long time. So when I look back, I know I loved dance, right. but in my recovery, I also distanced myself from it. Right. And I think it was because of that connection. So for years, I've moved my body in a very like strength training, doing exercises kind of way. Got it. Quarantine has been the first time when I felt this newfound desire to move my body in more creative ways and go back return back to more dance like movements and just doing improv in my house like right. it's been it's been a very interesting new fire that's ignited in me and in reflecting on that i feel like the biggest difference between the way that i used to approach dance yes. and the way that i have been dabbling now the way i used to approach it was very outcome oriented right it was very like is my leg high enough? Did right, I get right, the picture? Right, 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 Did I complete right, the turn? Right, right, like, right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I found a newfound love for the process of moving my body Just differently. Hmm. Is there anything that you can think of where your experience of that thing has felt different in focusing on the process instead of focusing on just the outcome? Very good question. Hmm. Well, before I answer that, do you think that your need to express yourself without an outcome, do you think that's because of the confinement of quarantine or kind of the uncertainty or just spawned again? Totally could be hmm. a return to a piece of me that it feels like a return to a piece of me that was always a part of me. I just wasn't like it just couldn't be there during my recovery. Right. Huh. That's a good question. I don't know if I can answer it as expressively as you have. But that's you said music. Yeah, yeah. I think 
that's a but really it can be anything, question. right? I'm just thinking of something where the experience becomes so different when you focus on the process and just being in it and the journey of it. And it doesn't have to be something creative. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I get this, it. Yeah, no, I think I think that outcome. Yeah, you know what? You you nailed it for me there. I appreciate that. It's like the conversations because of my role, obviously, in my job, but just kind of the some of the nice things you said to me at the start of the uh, interview, which is like you know being a leader and people seeking my help I always felt like when we had conversations there has to be an outcome mm. right like people bring us a, a scenario I won't say a problem but they bring a scenario with the client or their business or their career and then it's like okay we got 30 minutes by the end of the 30 minutes let's have an action item and let's see what we're going to follow up on yeah. and then with COVID because it didn't really matter that and also there was no way to predict the outcome like what are we, right? what are we writing <laughs> down like what are we circling yeah. back next week to the same thing like yeah so I think those pressures went away and the feeling of having to have something to say next went away and just having more easy, relaxed conversations. And, um, you know, not necessarily holding myself as I have to be impactful in this person's life based on this conversation. I have to be someone they can count on. I can literally just say, yeah, I don't know either. Well, the minute that you try to be impactful and you say, I must be impactful for this person. Right. What happens? It's an act. It's an act. And it's an act in a stage, in a play that has no defined script or no ending. We're just going day by day. So that's been pretty relieving. For my people that I work with, I obviously got them set up with what they need to know for their pay stuff with the government, stuff with their job responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And after that, I'm like, what are you reading? Mm -hmm. What are you listening to? What movie are you watching? Why do you like this movie? Like, just, let's just take all expectations or or outcome out of the conversation and just check in. And it's been really cool because a few of my team at the same time started their families around COVID. We had two COVID babies. We have one more coming any day now. Oh, wow. And, um that's been cool like just to talk about that experience not in relation to what it means to the club or the clients or the business like just what's it like yeah what's going on I mentioned with my daughter Cairo so not thinking about okay you know we have to get her ready for preschool by this time and you know the morning routine is to get her out the door so my son's not late for school and now it's just wake up and just look at each other and just chat and talk we sit on the front porch for an hour every morning so you know, I love conversation. I love human interaction. But, yeah, it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, what does this conversation mean for the next step and the next step? And what's the outcome of it? Now it's just call me. This backyard is a place that people drop back now that we have uh, relaxed restrictions. But <laughs> this is a place people drop by all the time. I, have, I take phone calls, at least six to seven, eight phone calls a day. You know, you live on the east with me, so you see people all the time. I see Jamie, I see Kevin, I see, you know, it's different people all the time. And it's just, it's it's great to not have to be on some sort of a clock or timeline to where the human interaction is being recorded against the measure. Yeah. So, don't know how that's going to continue, but that's yeah. what I'd say. But we've learned yeah. something. We've learned yeah. something. We also learn what we don't like. Mm-hmm. And what we're not going to tolerate. For sure. And Swanee, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. We're coming up on an hour. Whoa. Um, is there anything, are there any final thoughts that you want to share with the listeners before we sign off? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, first of all. This is 
been fun, interesting to get to know you, and also really cathartic for myself. So I really do appreciate that. I just think um, I think we have a lot more potential as human beings. What we do with ourselves, how we treat each other, how we build communities, cities, governments, companies. There's so much more that we could can do, not should do, but can do. And I think if we look at our differences, if we continue to look at those, then we're always going to be just kind of on the outside of our relationships, outside of our communities, and then even outside of ourselves. But every single person has the same emotions, fear, love, anger, happiness, mm-hmm. trust, distrust. We're actually mm-hmm. pretty the same once you peel back our skin. And I think if we spend a little bit of time just understanding with empathy. I don't like sympathy. Mm-hmm. I think sympathy is short-lived and it's too tied to direct emotions. So if I feel bad that day, great. I'm a great person to talk to. You can sympathize with me. But empathy means I don't get that. That scenario is very foreign to me. But what you're going through, I can understand how that would be a problem. Because not only do we get closer together, we can then trade ideas. That's my biggest, um, you know, that's what I love most about humans is that I can talk to you and I pulled so much out of this conversation. And hopefully you've pulled some things out of this conversation. And I think that's because we shared a lot of our similarities and a lot of our raw human emotions. So, you know, if you feel yourself becoming defensive, if you feel yourself becoming angry, stop for a minute. See if you can get past the dialogue of what's happening and look at the emotion can you understand an emotion of the person and, and see if that can uh bring you closer to somebody i yeah. love that getting past the exact what is happening here we get so hung up in the details huh and what people said or did or whatever or what's going on or what's being held against us or i don't know or what opportunities we have or don't all this stuff right right, right. But you're so right. Like the emotion is where we connect. The emotion is where we are the same. We there are universal human emotions, and people are more alike than they are different. For sure. That's just such a such a nice point to to leave off this conversation with. Thank awesome. you. If people want to learn more about you or follow up or find you on social, are there places they can go about doing that? Good thing is, Inswani is the only Inswani in the world. So you can just look up Inswani Bafo, N-S-U-A-N-I, Bafo, B-A-F-F-O-E. That's the same for Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. Anywhere you type my name and you'll probably get me. You won't get anybody else. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Inswani. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.